Yeah, we're going to turn to the Word of God. <clears throat> if you are a visitor here, uh, I am not the typical worship leader, but I'm often the typical preacher. Um, most of our youth and a lot of our leaders are actually at a, a youth conference uh, this weekend. Uh, we've been talking about sacred community. And um, I, I think that it's been hopefully really good. Th th this is not something that was a whimsical, oh, maybe we'll talk about this sort of thing. Th th this was an intentional direction for what I think we need to understand uh, about who we are and what's going on here. And in fact, it's up here just praying as, you know, things was happening, as, as the spirit was falling, and just, you know, evaluating what matters in the moment. Um, because doing church can look like anything. And it should often look like anything. Uh, it can be in your houses. It can be um, here together. It can be at work. It can be wherever two or three are gathered in his name. And the fact that we have the, a regimented calendar of every seven days we gather into a building that we call a church is kind of what we wanted to get beyond with the sacred community. Do, do, do you see what I'm talking about? <laughs> the idea is that what makes us a sacred community is far outside the confines of what happens during a church service. What happens in, in a church service should be a, 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 a place to practice, to realize, to, to do some of these things, to almost gather together, share our stories and our encouragement so that we go out there ready to do sacred community in new ways. Um, I, I told my wife that I, I feel like I'm batting cleanup on this one. Um, there's a lot that I, I still want to say, and we've got Lent coming up and all the sorts of wonderful things, but there's, there's a lot that I think um, we haven't quite gotten to yet. And uh, I think it matters to us. If, if I didn't think it mattered to us, I probably would not be preaching right now. The sermon, in fact, that I was going to preach substantially changed this week as I began to press into this, and I, I think it's appropriate for what we have happening here this morning. I wanted to talk about how everything that we do is, is sacred, you know, something that, that is marked by the presence of God, something that's marked by the ways of the kingdom, and therefore it matters, you know, and that's a perfectly good sermon. In fact, there's still going to be notes of that throughout here, but that's not where this ended up going. I think uh, what I want to talk about, the way I wanted to come across, is that there's been a usurping of the divine for the mortal. There's been a, a war raged against the eternal for the temporary. And we know this, I think we've recognized this, but I think we lose sight of that. And, and I don't want this to be such polarizing big terms of like culture war and all that sort of that that's not what this is it's, it's kind of about what the uprising um, conference is going to be about but the thing is this the church is the sacred community it's the bride of christ the full expression of the body of christ moving and living and speaking today but she is so easily corrupted she is so easily misled that there are cults of personality that, that people trade in sacred spaces as if they were a marketplace. People buy your attention, and they buy it with worldly money. <laughs> they buy your, your, your fanned-up indignation about the, the world outside. They, they, they buy into the culture wars. They, they try to, to spur us with emotional manipulation or with the opposite, by pacifying. Celebrity and influence and power have found a home in the church. People are playing with other people, manipulation and indoctrination. And they do it in the name of God, in the name of all the things holy, 
And it sets up this unassailable defense that we don't want to speak out against it because then we feel like we're speaking against something sacred. And so we mind our manners and our P's and Q's and we take our seats and we continue on as if the bride has not been marked by ugliness. There's another round of sexual abuse that I'm aware of, not in our church, thankfully. I'm sick of it. We are a sacred space. And the the worst thing is when these things are, are covered up and not addressed. And we are better than that. And I, I think that this is the thing, the way that we respond to this, the way that, that we react to these things shows whether we actually agree with that we're a sacred community or we're not, right? Is, is it okay to just let it go? Is it okay to just permit terrible, carnal, mortal problems? Or are we meant for something better? And that, that's the whole thing. If we are the bride of Christ, if we are sacred then we need to act like it. We need to show that. We need to be a light that shines to this world that's unassailable, that, that, our light can, that we cannot be despised, that we cannot have our motives questioned because we are just the most loving, because we are just the most kind, because we've been marked by forgiveness and healing, and that those arguments against that, that power corruption and, and what the churches are about, that they just don't hold water. But this fact of the matter is people lobby the, these complaints against the church, and they do. They do, because so many people, even in this room, have seen and tasted the bitterness of leadership that has been on a power trip, that's been abusive, that's been manipulative, that has tried to take wealth from speaking the name of Jesus. There's industries, billion-dollar industries, on the back of the name of Jesus. Are we a sacred space? Or are we not? I'll never forget the time when I was um, coming back to work in IT, where I still work. Actually, technically right now I'm unemployed, but that's not here nor there. Um, but since, but since I, I had just been in full-time ministry and I left when we were planting this church, and um, it was another one of those stories. It wasn't our church, but there was uh, sexual morality public in, in the public sphere, and everybody was talking about it. Non-Christians were talking about it. Everybody was seeing it. And the people that I worked with knew that I was a pastor. They looked at my resume. They saw what I had been doing, and you know, they, they do all that sort of investigation. And so it's like they're working with a Jesus freak, you know. And they knew who I was, but the thing is they, they grew to, to be my friends and they respected me, and I knew that they were quite, frankly, outspoken atheists who thought it was all foolish, and this was okay. We could work together. We're friends with everybody, and it's great. But then when that news came, I got to tell you, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And I, I sat there just like it, not knowing what to say, just like, oh, here we go. Like they're going to be picking on this. Like it's going to be all this wagging of the finger and like all, all church people are evil, all that stuff. And they looked at me, and I'll never forget this. They said, you must be more mad about this than even we are. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? They said, well, because for people that really believe, what a slap in the face. And I had a non-believer <laughs> offer me a corrective perspective on this that, quite honestly, is beautiful, right? If we understand who we are, it's unassailable. It doesn't matter what other people do because we are the sacred community. And it's not to say, well, that's their problem. It doesn't matter for us. But, but again, when we understand the name of Jesus, when we understand what makes him 
uncommon, what makes him sacred, what makes us then as we take part in that sacred, it's unassailable. And if there is problems, which there are, then may we have the boldness to just say, that is not my God. My God does not allow that. My God does not permit that. That has no place in the kingdom of God. And it's unassailable truth. But may we live in such a way that we actually own that. And I think that the problem has come that we make these little compromises because we don't want to speak out against that pastor or that ministry. And we just make these little peace agreements that is just like, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be okay. Maybe I just, I don't want to have the, I just don't want to be embarrassed by it again. And I think we need to be more vocal about this because our God is sacred because we, the church, are sacred. We use this word in context when we talk about being sacred, things like sacred cows, and I, I know that this actually comes from Hinduism, but if we look at what the famous sacred cows are, what we mean when we say that it's things that, that are, are not able to be criticized. And I think if we look at the sacred cow that we probably think of in Scripture, it's Exodus 32, it shows us something. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I think we often think of this as a sin of idolatry. We think that, that, that they were setting up a, a false god when they made this golden cow. That's not what the scripture says here. The scripture says, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. It's a misrepresentation of their god. <laughs> It's not saying that, that these are other gods. It's not saying that this is Baal. This is not saying that these are Asherah. You know, all those other gods that were around the, the Canaanites. This is saying, this is the God of Israel. The God who delivered you is this golden calf. That's the blasphemy. We misrepresented who God is. We have made him into the image of something worldly. That God, the God who made all of heaven and earth with a word, we said, he looks like this golden calf that I made out of my earrings just a few minutes ago. That was the sin. And we mistake this, and we think, oh, it's, it's got to be these other gods. We've got to think all those things. But this is what we still do. We misrepresent who God is to a world that's already confused enough. We misrepresent and we demean the person of Jesus and make him into something that he is not. We make him into something common. We make him into something that, that's, that's a, a, a punchline. And then we say we follow him, and, and we forget how sacred and beautiful and wonderful all of this is. How dare we misrepresent God, pretend to speak for him, or act on, on his behalf? There's this terrifying scripture from John the Baptist. I've got this one pulled up here. The Lord Jesus said, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Y'all, there is so much around this verse that people don't understand. It's, it's a hard one. What did Jesus mean? What was he trying to say? And, and I have probably had myself like three different understandings over the, the time that I've been alive already. Probably will have six more before I, I depart this earth, okay? This is a hard one. But one of the things that it tells me about is the way that the world rails against the kingdom of God, and they try to take it by force. 
What they do is they bring their wealth, they bring their power, they bring their prestige, they bring their greed, and they come against the kingdom of God trying to take reins of this thing, trying to control this thing. This is what we see is that when the kingdom of God comes close, people see it as an opportunity. People see it as an opportunity to kind of ride those coattails. People see it as an opportunity to try to, to get just enough goodness that I can pass muster, that I can then do what I want to do with the rest of my life. It cannot be so. Let me talk about the role of a pastor, myself. Is my role to be a stand-in for an absent God? Am I trying to be a mouthpiece for a silent deity? Am I trying to exercise authority in his stead? I mean, I'm, you can talk about me for this, but I think that this fits for all pastors, right? Are we one of his people, mindful of his ways and his promising? See, in one thing, we're, we're focusing on the person, this is why we don't want the pulpits to be central, because it's not a cult of personality. That's what we can't be about. And on another thing, we're focusing on the community. Am I a pastor because of what God has called me to do, which is often the way you think about it, right? People think about, what was your calling? People ask me that all the time. Tell me, tell me about your calling. I don't think there's any logic that can have a pastor who is called apart from the context of ministry and the community that he's called to serve. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It's not about the pastor. How can you be a generic pastor? It has to be in context. Pastor of what? <laughs> right? Can you be, I'm called to be a husband, but I'm not married? What? That, that's illogical, right? You're a husband because you've been married. You're a father because you have children. I'm a pastor because there's a community that the Lord has called me to serve, to serve, to help to pray for, to minister to, 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 to bring healing and clarity as best as I possibly can, to guide us through uncertain times whenever there's a pandemic, to try to give one voice that we can say, we need to listen to the Father here. Whatever it may be that I have to do in the moment, that's what it is because of you all, because we are the sacred community, because you matter, because you matter. Because if this was only about giving somebody a, a, a pulpit from which to speak whatever they want to be, then we're working for a cult of personality. We're trying to build prestige and influence and power and all this stuff that the world already has way too much of. And we've modeled ourselves after that model. We've corrupted the image of church instead of being the sacred community. Can I be honest about something? I, I'm, I'm so excited about what's happening in Asbury. I think many people here are, probably are. And I'm also so sick of hearing about it. <laughs> like that scene though uh, i've got the thing thing from the office you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take wayne gretzky as quoted by michael scott it's like people have to put their spin on something do you know what i mean i i, I was scrolling through social media which we do hopefully you don't and then i respect you a whole lot more but as you're scrolling through social media there's so many people who say well here are my two cents about what's happening in asbury I'm like, did anybody ask? <laughs> and most of the time, they're people I don't know. And, and this, is not like a, this is not a complaint. This is where we're at, though, right? Where we think that we need to... Did I just lose this? No, okay. Where we think that, that we need to give our spin on everything because we're so inflated with our idea of who we are that we think that it matters. I mean, like, come on. Like, like, if the Lord is coming in Asbury, that's fantastic. I'm not there. <laughs> God bless them. What's he doing here? 
And this was actually the word we had in our pre-service prayer. I didn't say it then, but I was like, oh, well, this, is, this will make my sermon easy. <laughs> Whatever the Lord's doing there, if it's, if it's him or not, great. But what is he doing here and now for us, the sacred community, the saints who are gathered here? Does it, does it matter? I mean, yeah, it matters. We're all part of this together. We prayed for the churches in Siberia. We have relationship with them. We, I hear from them. And a lot of us might know people at Asbury. In fact, the, the guy who married Leah and I, um, he spoke at Asbury before the revival started. He was there that Sunday, and he stayed through the beginning of the revival. So we have connections. Like, but it, I'm sick of hearing about it because let it go. And by that, I mean let it live, let it breathe, let it do its thing. Like, like we, we want to, to be the ones who lobby all of this on there. And I think that this is because, again, we're not understanding the sacred community. We're taking it as an opportunity to make it about grandstanding, an opportunity for, for getting our message out there, for putting our name, our label, just like Michael Scott, on whatever it is. Well, God's moving. Well, this was the Asbury revival, you know, hashtag Asbury. You know, whatever we might be doing, it's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. Yes, it helps us to understand that Asbury, if you're talking about but right, it's not about them, even, it's about God. And I think every time we make these small compromises, we start to forget about all of these things. There's a lot of name dropping in the kingdom of God. So sacred, we can think of it as being whitewashed or repurposed or retrofit, or we can think of it the way that the Bible talks about things, set aside and reserved. And I think whenever I throw that out to you, um, we probably feel like, oh no, I'm in that first camp. I'm trying to be whitewashed. I'm trying to be repurposed. I feel like I'm, I'm being retrofit into something. I'm not sure that I'm actually seeing myself as set aside or, or as, as something sacred in that way. I, I think uh, I've heard people say things like, you know, I'm held together most days by like, you know, spit and putty. And if you shake things too hard, it's going to crack. I think sometimes we feel that way. And then the understanding of being sacred doesn't feel right for us. Because I'm like, I, maybe they're sacred. I'm not so sure about myself. But what's the foundation of all that we do? If it's greed, if it's selfish, if it's ambitious, then it's not sacred until we recognize what is sacred in each and every one of us here. I'm going to rephrase this a little bit. This is, I think, the, the one thing that I want you to take away from this, this, this question. Is your understanding of sacrifice life-taking or life-giving? This, this, is, this is the crux of my whole message. This is, this is where it went to. So if, if you can understand this question and answer this question, I'll, I'll be content. Is your understanding of sacrifice life-taking or life-giving. When you become sacred, does it cost you your life, or does it satisfy your life? And this is actually not a, a, an easy thing for us to maybe answer in a one way or, or the other. It's been way too long since we've talked about Hitler from the pulpit, so today's the day I, I make that better. <laughs> There's a phrase used in, in Nazi Germany, uh, Germany above all. I don't know if you're history buffs, you may or may not have heard that. That was the, the cry, that's actually in the national anthem, Germany above all. And when you hear that, it might make your skin crawl a little bit because we kind of know what came out of this, right? World War II and, and genocide and, and hate and malice and, and horrible things, the worst parts of humanity that we've seen in the history of the world. And we hear Germany above all, and that's what we think of. But you know what? Hitler co-opted that phrase. It wasn't originally meant for nationalistic purposes. There were all these small tribes that were scattered without any central leadership, 
And what they said was Germany above all. Let us be together united before we are individually who we are meant to be. It was actually a humbling thing for them to come to this thing and say, Germany above all, I will forget my tribalism. I will forget these own small-minded things that I'm dealing with, and I will come together as a whole because there's something greater happening here. Do you see how it got flipped, how it got turned? how it became in fact the, the, the exact opposite. It became corrupted into a power play rather than being something beautiful that's actually bringing people together. And I think sacrifice has done this for the church. The idea of being sacred has done this for the church. We've lost the idea of what sacrifice is because all we think of is, is the personal loss. We think of, of the fact that I have to deject myself. We think that I've got to be like a worm. We think that I can't be unique. I can't have my personality. I, I have to listen to contemporary Christian music 24-7. I have to change all the artwork in my house so that there's a scripture verse on every single one. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not actually sacred. <laughs> sacred means to be holy means to be set apart for god means worthy of respect sacraments like our table are a channel for god's grace a rite, a practice ritual sacrifice then isn't just some giving something up or even killing someone or someone but making something holy that's the idea of the sacrifice making something holy We're focusing on the act of violence. We're focusing on the fact that it costs us things. We're focusing on how much I'm paying for something instead of the fact that it's making something holy. That's the whole point of sacrifice, sacred, make it holy. Not how much did it cost you. Not not did you pay the price. We make this transactional. And then again, the cross becomes about a transaction that we're trying to do, trying to get rid of enough bad things so that I can be good enough so I can make it to heaven whenever I die, and therefore the scales will be equal and everything will be great. But that's not the point. The point is to be made holy, to be set aside for the works of God. And the price be what the price is going to be. I'll tell you, the price was the Son of God. But he paid that price. And when we focus on that price, when, then we're focusing again on all the wrong things. And we're missing who we actually are, that Christ would come and die for you. That Christ would come and die for your neighbor. That Christ would come and look at you and say, you are worthy of that price. Because I want you to be holy. Because it matters. Because what you can do here matters. We wrestle with this idea, I think, of coming closer, staying away. Being invited and being fit or being insufficient. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, right? There's this parable of, of, the, of the wedding banquet. It's a great parable until the end, right? The guests who, weren't, uh, who were invited didn't come, so the servants brought people in off the streets. And we like the story to end there, right? But Matthew 22 ends the parable like this. But then the king came in to see the guests, and he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Verse 12, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Three verses earlier, Jesus, that that sells. (laughs) Like, you know, that, that, that would get people excited and like, wow, what a compassionate, loving story. And he brought everybody in. It was a good, complete parable. And then we get that because it matters. We're being made holy. Because the follow-up of this matters just as much. 
you are already in there. And then you read that and you think, well, maybe it's better that I'm not invited. Maybe I'll keep my distance because it's risky to come close. It's going to cost me something if I come close. You see where I'm going with this again? It's going to cost me something, and I don't know if I'm willing to pay that, that price to come. I'm fine at a distance, and I can sing some of the songs, and I can know some of the truths, and I can feel pretty good about myself most of the time, and I will keep my distance. And then we say, is this even for me? Am I acceptable? What's going, it's going to cost me. What happens if I come too close? Is it for me? On one hand, we have this. I got two scriptures. John 10, 10. The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. One of my favorite scriptures. He came to give us life and life to the full. And then we have on the other side, Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live in faith by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So is it the full life that I get to live however I kind of want to, or is it this whole like holy, sanctified thing that looks like that? And what, how am I supposed to understand this? Do I lose who Josh is when I come into the presence of God, or do I, I maintain kind of this whole thing? Do I, do I fit into a cookie-cutter mold of being sanctified and holy, or is there a better picture? Is there a different story? And I don't think that the answer is as easy as one or two of these options, and I think that this is why we often don't press on this too hard, because it's not as cut and dry, because we have scripture that seem to be on maybe on different sides. Here's the twist in the whole thing. Sacred, sacrifice, life-giving, life-taking. What's the lifeblood of our community? Everyone really chooses heaven over hell. I don't think anybody says, hell sounds better to me than heaven. Not many of us get to the point where we choose heaven over earth. Not many of us choose the kingdom of God over the ways of this world. And it's corrupted the church again. Going back to that picture where we have people covering up sexual abuse, where we have financial malfeasance and all these accusations that hold water because we just can't seem to let go of the ways of this world whenever the kingdom of God comes close. And we think it's more important that I get people into the church. It's more important that we have influence. It's more important that, that we're, we're saying these things on, on, on a on thing. I, I need to be trending. I need to make sure that, that, uh, that our message is out there. I need to make sure that people know that my name is on this ministry. So I got to put Michael Scott said that Mike, that that Wayne Gretzky quote. Matthew 16:25 perhaps is a, a good way. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And it's just this wrench in the whole thing. But we are sacred. The life is in the blood. That's why sacraments, why covenants matter. The church, I understand, is the distributors of grace. We don't originate the grace, we distribute the grace that's been given to us. As, as we have been forgiven, we get to forgive. As we have been healed, we get to heal. We are distributors of God's grace, because it's not about us. What was the, the old famous quote about the internet? It's just a series of tubes. Not true about the internet, except fiber, kind of. But it is true for the church that we are a series of tubes. We are meant to be those channels through which grace flows to a world that needs it. Do we hold it into ourselves? Do we try to bottle it up and sell it? No. And yet it happens. And yet it's been happening as long as man has been trying to follow the Father. 1 Peter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk 
so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's my message. <laughs> it's already written down. You're a royal priesthood. You are sacred. You are set apart. You are carved out. So get away from the junk of this world. Like, just stop it. <laughs> because you're better than this. So that whenever people come against you and they accuse you of things, what does it say? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They can say, oh, they were right. <laughs> there is a better way. Greed and malice and lust and, and all those things, they're taking away life. They're, ta they're costing us things that we don't even realize, but they're costing us. But I can see now, I can see when Jesus is in full color, oh my goodness, there is a better way. I want us to be unassailable, to be people of integrity. Not that it costs you your identity, not that it costs you kind of who you are and all that sort of stuff. That's not the idea. It's, it's because the price has been paid for you, you get to be who you really are meant to be. That you can actually find your life and live it. Because we still live these lies. We think it's a little bit of compromise and I can just kind of hold on to this and maintain this. And we're afraid to let it all go. And so we play church. We play with the sacred. And we think just a little bit of Jesus, sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on there and make it seem kind of holy enough and good enough. And I know because we've done this. I know because I do this. I know because I see this out there and, and there's still these parts of me if we understand what it means to be sacred, I think we all change in a very dramatic way. The sins against the sacred are treating it like it's common or treating the common like it's sacred. Both of those things. Isaiah 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. That's good. Let's also read this in Ezekiel 22. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, save the land. You are a land that has not been cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. There's a conspiracy of her princes within her, like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, take treasures and precious things, and make many widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. 
this is my this is my sermon again. Like what I'm preaching is just the story of people trying to come close to God time and time again in Israel, in the new church, like before in the old covenant, here in the new covenant. It's the same story. Mankind has done this again and again and again. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean, and they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I'm pretty sure that this could be written today about so much of what we see. It, have we changed? The burden to be the sacred community is high. I don't think many do it well. I think we can. I think it's what the world needs. I think it's what we need because the people next to you are sacred. That's what I want you to hear. The people next to you in this room are sacred. They're worth the price. They're being made holy. Jesus died for them. Yes, you too. <laughs> but the people next to you are who I want you to think about. They're precious. They're worth it. And how dare we ever besmirch that? How dare we ever tear them down? How dare we ever try to make it about something more common than that? So what is it that makes people sacred? The, the two easy answers is the blood of Christ. Okay, full points. <laughs> However, not quite what I'm meaning. Yes, the blood of Jesus. It's not performing scripture reading. It's not listening to worship music 24-7. Titus 1.15 has this very troubling and, and confounding and profound passage for us. All right, Titus 1.15. To the pure, all things are pure. For those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. To the pure, all things are pure. I've got to tell you, I don't think anybody has really understood this one. Or even if you've understood it, I don't think it's been lived out. The level of freedom that this is calling us to, to enjoy, <laughs> to, to, to let go of the fear and the anxiety and the doubt about being holy enough, about meeting some bar of standards, the, 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 the invitation to the pure, all things are pure. <sighs> Does the church look like that? Have you ever met a person who really lives without judging them and thinking, how dare you? And guess what? That was the accusation lobbied against Jesus. How dare you go feast with prostitutes and sinners? How dare? John the Baptist, they're all, they're all starving themselves. They're fasting constantly waiting for the kingdom of God to come. They look holy. Jesus, what are you doing? Feasting. How dare you? You know, there, there were people in exile. There, 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 there's a Roman occupation going on, and Jesus is feasting. To the pure, all things are pure. Well, to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing is pure. What makes you pure? 
Galatians 5. I didn't mean to do this, Galatians 5, when I started going into this. You know where it leads us? Right back to the spirits, right? to, to the, the, the fruit of the spirit, which we were talking about for so long. And this beautiful exploration, again, about once you are set free, you just stop doing the bad stuff. I think we take it as this command of, I, I have to control myself, I have to do these things, but it's like, but just, you, you, you won't do it anymore. Here, here's what I want you to hear. There's a longish diatribe. This is, it says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Not to be corrupted again. I don't want you to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You're putting this on yourselves. You're taking on these burdens of, of holiness and trying to do these things. This is hard. Because we are called to be holy, set apart, sacred, to be sanctified, to be made better than what we are. We have to turn away from all the badness, the corruptions, and all that stuff. But it's this burden as well that we're not being called to wear. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm them and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Then he's got a long diatribe about people who pervert the gospel in the church. Very relevant for us today, but I'm not going to read it all. But in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. There's sacred people in our midst, all around. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's scriptural again. That little mark was me about the sacred. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You just won't. You just won't. <laughs> you can be who you are without this burden. We've misunderstood the sacred. We think it's about the sacrifice I have to pay that costs me everything, when the whole invitation is to be free of that burden. To the pure, all things are poor, pure. Let, enjoy this because you are worth that price which was paid, so therefore go. But don't use it to indulge in sexual immorality. Do you see what I'm saying? The whole problem of this is we don't understand if sacrifice is taking my life or giving me life. Because the answer is it's kind of both <laughs> at the same time, and we've lumped it all together, and we don't know how to make sense of it. But it, whenever it works out, it's beautiful and simple, and you can just live it. But we see all this corruption in the church. So here's my summation of the whole thing. We have a word salad of being sacred, of being justified, of becoming sanctified, and, and holiness kind of lumps it all together and doesn't help us out too much. My own conviction is that here today, still 2,000 plus years after Jesus walked this earth, we are still trying to prove to God how good we are. The same problems people have been doing all along, we're still trying to prove to God, I can do it. I'm good enough. Would, would you love me more if I could be better? Would you, if I try harder, can I, just, can I earn more of your favor? We're still making those same mistakes people have been making ever since the beginning. And why? Because for some of us, maybe we're worried about what happens after we die. For some, maybe we're trying to get God to do something, to heal, to redeem, to restore. For still others of us, I think we're trying to experience something otherworldly. For still others, yet again, there are things that we have done that I know we can never undo. And when we remember those things, we fear once again that we are, we have not been, uh, that, that, that we have, um, we fear who we are and what we have done. Faith matters. Holiness matters. 
the way of integrity matters. And without jumping into all the alleyways that come from those things, the community of saints is sacred and worth it. It's an avenue to meet with and experience God. It's the way to practice the gifts. It's the way to make real the authority and power we've been given, to make as above, so below forgiveness and loosening and all the stuff that comes with it. So here's what I want us to do. Treat the community with the gravity that it demands. Treat each other with the love, the respect, the kindness that they're worthy of. Treat your role in the church with sobriety and respect. Don't give yourselves to the ways of this world. Don't allow that to come into your life in one way, shape, or form. There are going to be celebrities and people who seek to fleece you and garnish your support. It's already happening. (laughs) They want the clicks, they want the views, they want the money, they want the prestige, they want the power. They'll be in politics, they will be in business, they'll be in the church. But see the people around us here in this room as worthy and sacred, and you yourself, in your pursuit of ongoing sanctification, don't confuse what you do with what Christ did for you. Don't allow those wires to cross. Don't confuse what you do with what Christ did for you. Find and enjoy the life-giving sanctification and be aware of man-made attempts at religion that are life-taking. Because it's by the blood of Christ. We cannot make anything sacred. We just are. That's a long way of saying y'all should read that passage in Ezekiel. Um, I think we've got some words from before and, and maybe more. Bram, if you want to come up. Um, I, I hope, I hope that I, there's a, a, a high possibility just in, in after I finish my sermon there that you still misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I fully acknowledge that. I just want us to know how important it is. And I, I want to apologize to anybody in here who has been hurt by the church. If, if you have had wrongs done to you in the name of Jesus, I don't know that there's greater evil. And you might not be comfortable even making that judgment, but any time that, that, that there's been a fleecing of the flock, any time that, that an abusive word, any time that there's been sexual impropriety, any time that a dollar has been swiped from the, the offering plate, it's an offense and I'm so sorry to you. I'm so sorry to you. I, I don't even want to say, trust me, I'll be better or different. I'm, I'm a corruptible man my, my, myself, but I know who the Lord is. And that's why I want to tell you to not even look, as I'm the ones telling you this, not even to look here, but to look to our Father. To allow His Holy Spirit to be what is of the greatest truth. To celebrate, to enjoy, to be. And I will try my best as long as I am called to be a pastor of this context, to be a man of integrity. That's what we're about. And we have elders, we have others who look after us and guide us and and help us with those things, but know who your father is. Know what the church is. Understand the sacred community.